0: So our hope is that this podcast will encourage growth, both for individuals and communities.
1: We don't have all the answers, but we're here to sort out as much as we can over a drink or two. Join us as we ravel out our faith in a complex world, pulling on one thread at a time, seeking meaning at the end of it all. Thanks for listening.
2: Hello, my friends. Uh, Welcome. Hello. Welcome.
0: Sup? Sup. So,
2: here we are. We are recording. Uh, it's another day, and I want to know what y'all are drinking tonight.
0: Mm-hmm. It is still bonkers cold here in Montana, and I'm looking at like a few days of snow ahead of me. Oh, yeah. And it's putting me in a nice hot tea mood. So, I'm drinking it's by Yogi Tea. It's called Soothing Bedtime Caramel. Ooh. And it is a delightful herbal tea that my wife and I are big fans of. Oh, I
1: love it. What about you, Josh? I have not eaten much today. I'm not gonna lie. I have eaten lunch, but I decided I needed some protein, so I'm drinking a Dutch chocolate banana protein drink from Bolt House, and it's sweet. Wow! But it's gonna be filling. So
0: Dutch chocolate banana. That sounds delightful. It's pretty good.
2: It it sounds not the
0: best, but it's pretty good. Sure.
2: It sounds like a lot though. Banana
0: chocolate combo sounds good. Always.
2: It's a classic. That's
0: a straight up Bluth banana right there. There you go. <laughs> there you go. What about you, Emily? I,
2: I am too fisting it uh, again. And Stephen, you know,
0: need it be said anymore? I
2: was, I was missing my tea. So what do you know? It. I have my good old British blend oh. with me tonight. British blend. It was one episode late. My Dang blend. it! One episode. Uh, yes, you were. <laughs> you were just. You had to be patient. Missed That's it. all. Uh, but then my other beverage is I'm trying, um, my mom had sent me these Lipton teas, so I know I'm like drinking like twice the amount of tea, but this one is like a white raspberry like tea. Oh my gosh. It's like caffeine free and it's so delicious. It's like mm. very refreshing, very cool. Uh, and I love it. It's very good. Oh,
0: nice. okay. Yes. Cheers.
2: So doubling up on the tea. Speaking of tea actually has nothing to do with tea, but it got me thinking, you know, tea is one of my favorite things. It's like a comfort for me. And I want to talk about the idea of comfort, like things that give us hmm. comfort, things that give us like a sense of familiarity. Uh, Hmm. And I think we could go in so many different directions with this. Um, But I also kind of want to talk about like the lack of comfort. And I think part of the reason why this came up was hmm. today after church, as I was telling you guys, I made the decision of moving the American flag out of the sanctuary so awesome. and into the narthex yes. of the church. And I know that some people probably are thinking, what's the big deal? Uh, but there are probably some people who are thinking, oh my goodness, what is wrong with her? She's crazy. But I think... There's this sense of comfort, uh, and when people are faced with change, huh. like something like moving the American flag out of the sanctuary, like how do we as Christians cope with that? How do we handle change? Like, what are those things that give us comfort or a sense of relief when we are dealing with change? Uh, so, I kind of want to talk about that. So, I guess one of the things I'm curious is, do either of you have a go to like comfort tool or something that you find to be comforting when you are in a lot of stress or you're dealing with a lot of emotions like what is that thing that gives mm. you comfort
0: oh wow wow this is fun cuz you it's like asking adult men what their blankies are
2: i basically i yeah do you suck your thumb and have a blankie like i want to know
0: <laughs> spill the tea <laughs> spill the tea oh what a delightful question
1: i do drink a lot of tea i'm not gonna lie um that's a good that's a good one i do find tea very important i was just reminded of how like when i was growing up i never liked that my mom mostly made rice um emily i don't know if you know this but my mom is uh half chinese I did not
2: know. How did I not know that?
1: I don't know. Well, reminder, we don't know each other. Like this is episode that 70 is true. but like.
0: <laughs> we have this is the we don't know anything about each out. other.
1: Um so yeah, my mom is half Chinese and so she grew up on a lot of rice, like very heavily Asian cuisine and mm. I really disliked that we didn't just eat like potatoes and pasta like the normal people. Mm. and we ate like rice and meat and veggies for like the majority of our meals and wow. now that i'm an adult i totally find rice to be a comfort food like
2: oh love it <laughs> oh i love that so oh.
1: i mean i don't necessarily like just make rice when i'm stressed but like i totally see it that way now sure like it's very comforting like like the the food and drinks of childhood totally which i feel oh, like is yeah. very common well i mean they're different for everybody but
2: Mm. That's a good one for sure. Mm. What about you, Steven?
0: I'm trying to think. I, I remember having a few instances over my last vacation where I think I was just feeling overstimulated because we were hosting a bunch of people at our house for like six days. So, And we had made it, made it explicit with everyone. Like, look, we're all introverts here. We know that people can be a lot. So, like, if you go to your bedroom, we won't bother you. Like, that's your introvert space. And, uh, I, a a couple times I remember like just going up to our room and I would, I, I laid in bed and just, and Dixie and I have a weighted blanket that we really like. And I just put that over me and just kind of like meditated for a few minutes. And honestly, I found, I find meditating incredibly comforting. Maybe that sounds like a stock answer or something, but literally like I got caught meditating in the doctor's office a while ago when I had to go to the ER. I texted Ooh. you guys about that, but uh, literally I was, like, I was sitting in the waiting room cause I wasn't having symptoms. I just, I needed something to get checked on and I was at the same day clinic first and the nurse saw my chart and she was like, you should go to the ER. I'm like, it's not happening now. What just happened last night. Um, anyway, but I started meditating in, in the waiting room and a girl that was sitting with her mom, like across the waiting room was like, is he dead? <laughs> oh, Did gosh. he die? I'm like, and I just oh, opened my eyes. Gosh. I'm like, No. I'm just meditating. It's fine. <laughs> yeah. So I like I've, I've used that as a tool quite a bit to to help me calm down or center or just like find some comfort. I also think about a few podcasts that I'll always like put in my ears when I just I want some time to just like unwind and find some levity. So like my favorite podcast of all time is called Hey Riddle Riddle. And it's just it's improvisers who try to solve riddles and every once in a while just call random scenes for each other and I find them absolutely delightful and they're the funniest human beings I'm aware of and yeah so I find that incredibly comforting
2: oh I love that ah that makes I love that we're talking about this
0: what about you your
2: turn one of the things and this is going to come to a shock I'm sure for some people who are listening uh, but singing is something that I do when Hmm. I want to be comfortable Uh, Hmm. I'm not like the best best singer, but I'm also not the worst singer. Like I can I can hit a note when I really try. But I think there's something about like vocalizing mm. either frustrations or fears or joy even for that matter that allows me to just kind of release and I get a sense of comfort in that. Um and I usually try to find songs that either fit what I'm feeling or I try to find songs that I want to feel in that moment. So like if I want to feel like really joyful, I try to sing and listen to music that evokes those feelings inside. But if I want to let out frustration, then I sing songs that allow me to do that in that capacity. And I think cooking is another one. Like mm. there's the the physical act of like putting ingredients together and like mixing and mashing and placing in a dish and either you're baking or you're, you know, on the grill or whatever the case may be. I think those are things that provide comfort. Do you think that comfort is a topic that is addressed enough in Christianity? Or Hmm. is it one of those things that we just, like, we don't feel like we need to talk about?
1: No, I feel like we we should talk about it. Like, what I do think is interesting about you wanted to talk about comfort is I feel like the the Holy Spirit is talked a lot about in terms of comfort.
2: Ooh, yes.
1: But also it seems to be pretty abstract. Like it spe- seems to be more related to like spiritual comfort rather than like physical or emotional comfort necessarily. Mm-hmm. I don't know. So I I totally think it's important, like especially if like you're going to be someone who believes in the Bible. Like I I think comfort's super important. I guess maybe where I would be cautionary of that is uh people taking it to the far extreme and like turning it into like a prosperity gospel kind of thing i don't know i'm not saying you're doing that but Mm -hmm. like i think that i've heard people talk about it along those lines like god wants us to be so comfortable that like nothing in life is ever hard for us Mm. which i don't think is like true yeah
0: i remember feeling (laughs) a lot of pressure To feel uncomfortable, and that was a good sign that I was a Christian, that I was, like, evangelizing enough or, I don't know, like, sticking out enough that I'm, like, I'm uncomfortable. Sure. You know, at least moving beyond a comfort zone of sorts. Yeah, that was an internalized message I had for a while, for sure. Hmm.
2: Were there ever moments where, like, maybe throughout your faith journey, you had... An extreme sense of uncomfortability, like some, it could have been something. You know, I'm sure there are some congregants on Sunday, like they're going to come into the church and they're going to be like, "Why is the why is the American flag moved? Like, what what is happening here?" Mm. Did you ever have moments like that? Maybe not that exact instance, but like something that just kind of shook you, that made you feel uncomfortable in your faith journey. Mm. Not so much like a faith crisis, but something that was just kind of pushing you yeah. where you were, yeah, you were starting to feel uncomfortable.
0: I mean, it sounds too convenient considering your your badass example of taking the flag out of your uh sanctuary. But I, I remember the sense of uncomfortability I got when I first realized, like, what it meant to say the Pledge of Allegiance as a Christian. Mm. And I remember, I remember like making the decision, like I'm not going to participate in the Pledge of Allegiance anymore, actually. Yeah. Yeah. Wasn't really much of a faith crisis, but I remember it. That, that was a pretty stark feeling of like, oh, this feels like a big deal that no one talks about. Mm -hmm. The first
1: moment I can think of. I'm sure that there were more, like I'm sure that there, I've I've had like other awkward experiences in church, but the first one that I think that I felt very consciously uncomfortable was when I went to like a special service from this revivalist. His name is Rodney Howard Brown. Yes, he's been arrested in the last couple of years due to COVID restrictions down in Florida. Wow. But before that, he was very well known as like the, like the laughing evangelist or something like that like oh you know what i'm talking about like yeah he was like notorious for like holy spirit quote-unquote holy spirit inspired holy laughter like causing the joy of the lord to bubble up in you like that's what Mm. he would yep you talk about it as and like in a in like a classic revivalist situation like he would bring people forward and like form like a line of blessing and like healing and and like with each person he would like like pray for like this laughter to come upon people in like in a very ec- ecstatic way. And then would even have like catchers behind them just in case like you got slain in the spirit or you like got, you were laughing so uncontrollably like you just had to be like on the floor and he came to me. Like I, at that point I totally believed in like charismatic gifts being slain in the spirit, like God moving in mysterious ways like that. Um, and that being like, that should be a part of our everyday life totally was on that page still. And he gets to me and he like starts praying for it. And I'm like, I don't feel it. I don't feel mm. anything. And I think that that caused, I, I didn't go down. I didn't like start laughing. I didn't like, I had, I felt like no reaction because I was like waiting for it to come. And, and then I think didn't. that, yeah, I think that that caused quite a bit of cognitive dissonance for me. Like mm, I did. Sure. I was like, like even in the moment, I was like, I don't know what to think about this now.
2: Wow. That would be like a very uncomfortable situation.
1: Yeah. But especially
2: like, when you see other people. Yeah. You know, and then like it's your your turn and you don't have that same instance.
1: Mm-hmm. There's totally people on both sides of me on the ground just laughing their heads off. And I was like, I
0: didn't get the joke. <laughs> wow (laughs) that's one way to put it i've had uh i guess similar moments like that like there was a time between dixie and i when it felt really important to her that i knew that speaking in tongues was real so like Mm. for a while while we were dating like i was trying so hard and i would go to like these college age basically youth group events with her and um, People would like pray for it all the time. And like I never went in the circle as it were to like be gifted my tongue or whatever. That sounds like a weird way to say that. That's not how they say that. Anyway, um, I, I remember being around people who do pray in tongues and just feeling really weird about it.
2: Hmm. Do you think Jesus was ever uncomfortable?
1: Oh, totally. Well, I'm sure he was.
2: How do you think he handled it? Because mm. we really don't like in our last episode we you know, we had talked about sex and Jesus isn't really portrayed like in a light where mm. sex is like talked about. So I'm like I wonder, you know, was Jesus ever uncomfortable? Like we don't really get to see that side of Jesus where sure he ran off to pray, like he went to be alone and he flipped tables when he was angry, but we don't really actually get a sense of him being uncomfortable Mm.
0: do you think that's not enough though because i like my brain immediately went to all the places where the gospels say like and then he went on the mountain alone to pray or like you know he sent his disciples across the sea and then he went on his own for a while and then eventually like came up to them walking on the water or whatever but that's a whole different
2: but i wonder if like was that in every one of those instances, was he uncomfortable, or was he simply like just going off to pray? Mm. You know, like we really don't know.
0: Mm. I mean, Garden of Gethsemane mm. feels like a place where Jesus is uncomfortable on front and center. I think it's more than uncomfortable, yeah. But what's the what's the scale that you're judging? What would you call that more than? Well, I uncomfortable? guess maybe that's
2: what I'm. Maybe that's what I'm kind of exploring. Is is there a scale of being
0: uncomfortable
2: and where do we draw the line and as christians like how do we handle moments of being Mm. uncomfortable because there are definitely healthy
1: Mm.
2: life-giving ways of coping and handling situations like that and then there are unhealthy and i i know there are healthy ways but i feel like there are more unhealthy ways at least that are brought to light than healthy ways
0: Mm. my mind just went straight to the way that some people treat alcohol as a like a creature comfort, you know.
2: Mm, sure.
0: And like I I even remember moments in my own life where I decided to stop drinking alcohol for a few months because I was starting to hit that I was adopting a mindset sometimes where I was like at the end of a long day at work and being like, "Oh, I can't wait to have the beer that's in my fridge or whatever." Sure. And like for me, just knowing that alcoholism is in my family history, like I never want to treat alcohol that way, but what you have me thinking of is like, sure, there are just blatantly unhealthy ways to manage stress, anxiety, and all that. But, but maybe like, because it's not unhealthy to have a beer or enjoy a whiskey as a way to like right. wind down. It's unhealthy when you abuse it and you do too like sure. use it to achieve a different mind state for like long periods of time and then expect that to be always available to you.
1: Yeah. Do you think that one of the aims of Christianity is to give comfort?
2: Oh.
0: I think for the aspect of like the afterlife heaven conversation, for sure. Oh, I didn't even think about that. I remember having a conversation in my youth group once where basically, I think to this day, I'm still not entirely sure, but I think my youth leader was playing more of a devil's advocate as it were. Mm. But basically like the whole night was just a discussion. He came out saying like, it is inherently selfish to want to go to heaven. Mm. And a lot of the conversation came down to like, well, what is it about then? Like if, if we believe that the salvation is what gets us to heaven, like sure, you can give away that to other people, but isn't that just self-preservation itself? You know? Ooh. uh Uh-huh. Hmm. I don't know. Your question just like brought that up for me. It was like, yeah, I think heaven is definitely something of a salve or a balm of being like, oh, you know, mm. stuff sucks mm. in the I mean, world salvation. Right now, but later. Mm. Yeah, yeah, totally.
1: There's a part of me that wants to say yes, like the world sucks and people suck and like,
0: like hope for a better future. Happened, <laughs> yeah, like hope for a better right?
1: future, like mm-hmm. the the comfort of something familiar and consistent and. The, the beauty of love. I do think that those things are very tangibly comforting to a lot of people, but I don't know if I would say it's like the primary objective or not, or like one of the primary objectives. Sure. I don't know. I'm trying to gather my thoughts a little bit, but like one thing I'm like connecting it to in my brain is there's the, I don't remember the name for it, but like the Buddhist concept of uh, like suffering and pain not existing. And like freeing yourself of that attachment, there's a name for it. I can't remember what it is, Hmm. but like Christianity, for instance, doesn't argue that. I don't think, but like, I like based off of how I've heard it described of the Buddhist concept, that's meant to be a comfort. Like you coming to the realization and the enlightenment that your pain doesn't exist should be a comfort, right? And releasing
0: the story of it kind of idea.
1: I mean, I don't want to, like, misrepresent because I'm not Buddhist, but, like, that's just, like, the way I've heard it portrayed, but, like, sure, if that is accurate, I don't think that that's what Christianity is trying to do. Like, I don't think Christianity and the message of Jesus is trying to say, like, the only thing that matters is comfort, like, salvation is for sure. comfort or heaven is for comfort. But I also think that, like, it can be provided,
0: I don't know, as more of a byproduct, maybe.
1: Yeah, maybe like Jesus seems to argue quite a bit that like following this way is really difficult
2: and it is uncomfortable. Yeah, because it kind of goes against norms
1: and people are going to hate you like that doesn't sound yeah. like comfort to me. I'm also thinking of this is kind of a pivot. I'm also thinking lately how how much I miss the famili familiarity and regularity of church. And I think Mm. that I really find comfort in it personally. Like even if it's not the church I grew up in, even if it's not the denomination I grew up in, even if I don't know the people there, there's something comforting about a church building and a church service, especially if I know that my theology more or less lines up.
2: Mm. Mm -hmm.
1: And maybe that's just because I grew up in the system I don't know, like it, I, I, when I think about people who have left church or considering leaving church, I think that it's a very unique discomfort feeling the loss of the comfort that comes with being a part of a church, at least for me, it's a very unique loss, I think.
2: Mm. Oh yeah. I, uh, this conversation has made me think about myself at one point, um, And people who, you know, attend my church, you know, parishioners and things like that, where they come to me like during office hours or whatever, and they're dealing with a situation and like 99% of the time I'll hear them say, oh, but I turn to this verse for comfort. And how like oftentimes scripture can be read as like a band-aid, almost solution to the world's problems where I'm dealing with uh, this instance of fear So I'm going to find those Bible passages that talk about fear and then that'll just like restore my comfort and hope. And I used to like, I used to read in that kind of way, you know, where it was almost like a quick little juice up, uh, Mm -hmm. like a quick little battery recharge of comfort. Uh, and now like I look back and I'm like, that's not very healthy. (laughs) Like that's a very short term solution of providing comfort,
0: uh, at least for me. I think it could still belong in kind of like a toolbox of things to find comfort in though, you know?
2: I think so. Yeah. But I think it has to be more than just, I'm going to read this verse and, Oh, okay. I, I feel good now. I, I guess it's like the instantaneous element that's behind that, where if someone is struggling with something and they flip open their Bible, they read that verse and it's like, Oh, I suddenly feel better.
1: Mm.
2: You know, it's one of those things where is it really the verse that's providing the comfort or mm. is it the act of reading? Like, is there something more to it than just simply the words on the page? Because I feel like if we treat scripture in that way, then, you know, over time we kind of lose some of its essence. And I think ultimately it kind of lose its effectiveness for providing comfort. mm. Because then you just have those go-to verses and you ultimately will only read those verses, you know, and you don't want to really yeah, read or explore anything else.
0: I guess that's what I mean by, you know, keeping it, keeping maybe that just method of, I don't know, indexing words or something like that as a way, as a tool, but that needs to be part of a more robust practice of reading scripture, maybe with a critical eye or, you know yeah because reading with a critical eye is a lot differently a lot different than a devotional eye kind of thing mm. but i think mm-hmm. i think they both have their places like certainly psalm 23 is famous for a reason you mm-hmm. know and and while we all can't relate exactly to david's circumstances or even know what inspired psalm 23 in david like it's still something that's comforted generations of Christian people, oh definitely, you know, and Jewish people, definitely. One thing you did make me think of is like I used to like being the guy who is like, you can't just quote Jeremiah twenty nine eleven and get away with it, <laughs> you know. But <laughs> Emily, right now I'm having a different reaction, and right now I'm like, while I still think that you should study and understand what Jeremiah is trying to speak to in the broader context of his like, life's work, right? There is still something to be said for, though, that that verse has helped people in moments of trial, you know? Mm -hmm. And, like, I just have a softer touch for just that annoyance of, like, you can't just take verses out of context like that. But at the same time, like, it did work. It does work for
2: people. It did, but there's still a balance even with that, though. Mm. I feel like. Sure. Because I think about, like like even just recently you know i've i've had a couple funerals where i'll offer suggestions like for people who um like i i did one funeral actually it really stood out to me the person was not religious they didn't attend church and they had asked for me to do a service and so i was offering suggestions for bible verses and i remember very strongly uh the son was like please do not do such and such a scripture like such and such a scripture like those are used so often in funerals that I don't want it to be another like cookie cutter funeral. And I remember that standing out to me of like, that could be true for people. Like we hear so many things out of comfort to the point where it eventually just doesn't provide comfort for people anymore. Like it doesn't Mm. have the same meaning behind it. And so I remember after meeting with them, like they had left, I was sitting there with my Bible and I'm thinking, okay, so what scripture am I going to use? Like what were they (laughs) feeling in those instances? And so that's when I turned to like Lamentations and I turned to like Song of Songs and like other Uh. parts of the Bible that we know, like are parts of the Bible that are meant for providing comfort in times of complete and utter distress and, and sadness. But we often turn, like we don't, usually like that's not the first thing we think of we usually think of psalm 23 and jeremiah twenty nine eleven, like all these other ones and i was really moved by that i was really moved mm. to say i am not going to treat every funeral the same i want to address each funeral uniquely and so like i really try to avoid using psalm 23 unless the family requests it i don't use it
0: at all mm. i can appreciate that yeah yeah. we just want to say how honored we are that you listen to Ravel seriously there's a lot of great shows out there and we're grateful to be in your feed thank you for helping us on our journey to normalize people asking questions about theology
2: if you want to support what we're doing the best way to help is to tell a friend about us We want to be a resource for people on their faith journeys, whether they're deconstructing, reconstructing, switching churches, deconverting, and everything in between.
1: And if you're able, you can support us for as little as $3 a month on our Patreon. Supporting us helps us cover fees, software, equipment, future ideas, and more. For all of you church finance skeptics out there like me, don't worry, we're keeping an open book for transparency. For
2: our supporters, we've built an online space where we can be together. We know it can be difficult to ask questions about our faith, so we want to make that more accessible, comfortable, and normal. We're using an app called Discord, where you'll get private access. You already know us, and we'd love to get to know you.
0: Thank you to everyone who's already supporting, and thank you to Louis Zong for the use of our theme music, In Full Color.
1: Ravel is a founding podcast of the Highline Media Network. Here's a word from one of our sister shows, Keller's Couch.
0: Like, people kept saying McBee, and I was like, oh, Macbeth? <gasps> and the, yeah, literally, everyone's like, what? You don't say that. I was like, what the f***? <laughs> that's amazing.
1: Uh, theater yep. people are weird. But yeah, yep. so you
2: can, like, say it right now, mm-hmm. but you can't Because you're not it. in the theater. You're
1: not in the theater, that's right. Uh-huh. Again, what he said, but my voice. Because, yeah. like, I... I like. I've been in some plays before, yeah. uh, in high school,
0: and that, that's it. But uh, so you've done plays. I've done Come plays. Come on, man!
1: I was in Fiddler on the Roof. <gasps> I was in.
0: Uh, How do you feel about plays?
1: I love plays. There's I love. Those sc- are
0: different because you memorize lines. Because you and stuff. memorize yeah.
1: the yeah, lines, yeah. and it, there's no improv, and you just you know your. Sh- he said that's wrong though. There's lots of improv in
0: theater. Ryan, I mean, you're such an enigma. You are. I know. You're
2: a. What is that <laughs> phrase? You're an enigma wrapped in a. You're something in a.
0: cut that cut that cut Cut it that that. wasn't good that wasn't (laughs) good that wasn't my best
1: and now back to the conversation
0: i think that does just speak to though where we find you know like where we find comfort because i think about you know it it does admittedly look kind of weird to just start meditating in a doctor's office and also like using beads and praying through a rosary has been very comforting and meaningful for me. Like Mm -hmm. when I light candles for our miscarried babies, you know? So like when I do that with those beads, like Psalm 23 is on the list. Sure. So I I don't know if it's just because, is it easy for those things to just become like Hobby Lobby stock images? Hmm. Whereas, whereas for me, like Psalm 23 is now like deep down in my bones because I've, I feel like I've prayed it through a lens of like, I actually sometimes feel like I'm in the shadow of the valley of death, you know, whereas Mm -hmm. maybe it's just, it's annoying to others, especially like from that background. Yeah. I'm not trying to argue with you. I'm just trying to like, I, I feel like there's, there's somewhere in the middle here where I agree where I think what you're saying is like it really comes down to that individual's experience Mm -hmm. or needs. And for you, it's it's absolutely right for you as a pastor to, like, take the totality of someone's life in trying to build something for a eulogy or a service at a funeral Mm -hmm. and not make it cookie cutter. So I get that. Do you think comfort is something that is universal or
2: is it individual?
0: Hmm. Comfort as an experience? Yeah. Yeah, I would think so. I guess another word that I think of is equilibrium, like a, a place of contentedness, maybe for comfort. Mm. Does that work?
2: Yeah, I don't see why not.
0: I think that would be a universal experience of like finding a place in your life where you feel content and safe and, yeah, comfortable.
1: I think contentedness is different from comfortability. Say more like I think that they can be related. But like I think of comfort and like comfortableness as like a balm or a relief versus like contentedness as more of like Mm. a like a normalcy. Sure. Or like a like a sustainable rate. Mm. Like being content in a job versus like comforted after a long day at work.
0: Yeah, I guess you mm-hmm. don't get contented mm-hmm. after a long day at work. Yeah, comfort <laughs> the, there's like a is comfort that is, too... is is comfort something we give to other people?
1: Ooh, maybe. Oh. I mean, I think you can like self-soothe too. Sure.
0: But even then you kind of like the phrase self self-soothe almost gives you a picture of like I'm giving this to myself, you know? I'm giving oh, yeah. myself a self-care day. Yeah. You know. It's like
2: oh, I hate I hate can I just can i just say how much i
0: freaking hate
2: that expression of
0: like i'm gonna
2: have a self-care day have i ever told you my definition of self-care
0: No, i I think you have but give it again yes please
2: self-care is creating the life that you don't want to escape from like
0: oh i like that
2: self-care should never ever be a random band-aid treatment Implementation, like Mm. it that that to me just speaks volumes to the type of lifestyle that we have created for ourselves. That you feel that there are certain things that you can only do to provide care or comfort, and it's when you're at your breaking point, or you are suffering so much, or you're so exhausted, or you're so frustrated that you're going to do this thing. And it provides self care and then you quickly rejuice. Like that to me is just so sad. Like, why can't you have self care all the time? Like, you should be caring for yourself constantly. <laughs> it should never be when you are at your lowest of lows. Like, I remember so strongly when I was in CPE. Uh, and for those of you, maybe you're listening for the first time, CPE was clinical pastoral education. And so I worked as a chaplain in many hospitals during my time in seminary. And our mentors would make sure that like we were taking care of ourselves. And so she would ask like, what are you doing for self-care? And I remember like those first couple of times she would ask, I would say, oh, I finally like sat down and read a, a book or, oh, I went and, you know, got my nails done. And as time went on, like she was trying to instill in me the importance of caring for yourself throughout, Mm. like all the time. It should be a consistent thing that you care for yourself. So later on down the road, she would ask, like, how are you caring for yourself? And I would literally just explain my whole day to her. And I would just see the smile on her face as she was like, "Okay, all right, you're getting it like this is good. And so I think that's one of the reasons why I also brought up this topic of comfort is Mm. I think it, there are spaces where you should be uncomfortable, definitely, because there's growth in that. But I don't think we should treat comfort or self-care as this band-aid, quick-fix solution. Oh. I think we should be caring for ourselves all the time and we should be comfortable, like, as much as possible. Because the, the, the we don't thrive in life when we are not comfortable and when we're not caring for ourselves. like. I don't think God intended that for the life for us, you know? Mm. So yeah, self-care is creating the life you don't want to escape from. And if you see self-care as like getting your nails done, cool, like do that. But don't treat it as if you have to be in a certain place in order to accomplish that. Like you should just go and get your nails done just for the sake of getting your nails done. And it can still be self-care.
0: I like that. That's good. I feel very comfortable right now. I feel like Josh and I have both like found a tone of like, (laughs) ah, yeah, it's spa (laughs) day podcast. It's spa day podcast.
2: There you go. Spa day podcast Mm.
0: to return to that idea, Josh, though, because you, you, I think you were rightfully pointing out that contentedness is not the same as comfort. Mm. It does feel pretty good maybe as a heuristic right now to say comfort is something that you give to others or that you can give to yourself, but there's still a weird, like comfort seems
1: much more like a verb to me. Than yeah. Right. Like mm-hmm. content feels like a mental state. Oh yeah. Sure. Sure.
2: I don't think we talk about comfort enough in the church.
1: Hmm. What would you like to see change? Like what, what do you feel like is the whole?
2: I think it's like the, understanding that it's okay to be uncomfortable in the first place. I feel like there's a sense of shame when we're uncomfortable or like maybe not shame, but a weird feeling of guilt when we are uncomfortable. Like, Mm. you know, instances where if like I had someone in church who they felt, they felt very uncomfortable, like either doing like a spontaneous prayer or like whatever the case may be but then they apologize like they feel they have to apologize because they felt uncomfortable mm. and i think i don't know there's like this weird sense of shame or guilt with that and i think we need to approach the idea of being uncomfortable and and comfort in general in the church and just to say like you don't have to apologize like if you do, like we don't we don't we don't address enough this idea of you're not perfect, <laughs> you know, like Christians, people in general are not perfect. And so when you're uncomfortable with something, we don't really express that. Okay. Or if we do, there's a sense of shame. So, like, I know if pastors, you know, get appointed to a church and people are uncomfortable with things that the pastor is doing, they don't always address it to the pastor. They usually talk amongst themselves, you know, to other people. And they talk about why they're uncomfortable, but then that doesn't actually change the situation. And so that level of un- being uncomfortable just continues. Like, it's just perpetuated. Mm. And I think we need to be more comfortable about speaking up and saying what it is we're uncomfortable with. Because then that's how we fix problems. Like, that's how we address the issue.
0: Do you think that could be, that's a useful indicator of, uh, like, a community's safety?
2: Could be. Yeah, definitely.
0: Like, I think about what's wild Josh is that i've contemplated going back to church a couple times and i still haven't and there's something that's like there's something inside me that just feels like are you sure you're ready to go back you know like for the sense of comfort that you might feel in like feeling a draw to go back to church right now i feel like i i keep coming back to a place of like my last church with the amount of burnout that they forced on my wife and I, and I say forced because like Dixie and I, like at the time we're all bought in and it it didn't feel like anything was forced. And if, and if anything you might say that it's partly my fault, but maybe that's just like victim blaming. I don't know. But it was like the amount of work that we put in and the burnout and then the, the weird gaslighting of like, Oh, you're not burnt out. Like you're just not like something isn't right with your walk or whatever. Um, Mm. like that was not a safe place for me. and like those have been the circumstances of leaving my last two churches of the two churches in my life was like, I feel like I'm starting to hit a point where I'm just being used for my talents and not like loved for me as a person. And that might be a harsh way of saying it, but like, yeah, I, so like Dixie tried to go back to our old church once and I just told her like, I'd rather not, you can go alone. And she came back and she's like, something just felt off. And I'm like, Yeah, that's that's because we spent so long there and then we disappeared and then like it didn't feel like it meant anything to anyone else but us. Mm. So like being an unsafe place, I don't know, maybe that uncomfortability, Emily, that you're speaking to is like, I still feel uncomfortable going to church. And maybe that's just because, like, I don't want anyone to discover that I play an instrument or that I (laughs) have talents that I can mm -hmm. give because I've felt used by church in the past. Sure. So my uncomfortability with going back to church right now is is a sense of like, I don't know, being unsafe in some way. I'm not sure, hmm. and that's certainly my own like personal experience too. Because Josh, I know you've you've served in church like as a musician in the past, and I don't think you've felt the same thing that I have. So
1: I think it's interesting what you're hitting on. I know that for me personally, it is difficult for me to verbalize that I feel uncomfortable. Mm. And I think maybe this can bring some light to it. So at work, like one of the things that we got taught when we first started and that then I was in charge of uh, teaching people when they first started was uh, the difference between uncomfortable and unsafe. And Ooh. in Seattle, there's most businesses, I think it might be required by law. So I think actually most, I think all brick and mortar places have a panic button at the register Hmm. and the panic button like is an immediate call to the police department and it like summons police and they will respond as if there's an active shooter situation like wow men on the ground like lots of people will come big fines associated if you don't (laughs) do it right Um, but all of that to say we like try to walk people through like thinking about there's a difference between uncomfortable and unsafe. Unsafe usually means someone is at immediate risk. Uncomfortable is usually the precursor to that. Mm. And like, it is totally okay to be uncomfortable. It is totally okay to be suspicious of people, like recognize that uncomfort and like know when to like, say something, even if you're not unsafe. And Mm -hmm. I, so I really like that distinction. And I think that maybe my tendency to not verbally recognize my uncomfortability, my, oh my gosh, my uncomfort is maybe rooted in the fact that I really like to give people the benefit of the doubt, Mm -hmm. or I like to be self-reflective and like to consider like where I might just be reading too much into things. Mm Mm-hmm. And to be honest, I've like gotten into situations before that I like afterwards I look back and I'm like, oh man, I could have just avoided that by like, like recognizing that I was not comfortable with that situation and like getting out of it early, whatever it was. Mm-hmm. Mm. So yeah, that's what you made me think of, Stephen.
2: So we talked about things that give us comfort, like physically. What are things that give you comfort spiritually?
0: Mm. I think for me right now, it's still, uh, the gift of being able to pray prayers that I don't have to make up or write myself, uh, ancient prayers or Psalm 23 or whatever, just using, using those as like, I don't know. Yeah. It just, it's, it's a very comfortable and like safe place to come back to. It feels mm-hmm. like there's the rest in there somewhere, you know, is that along the lines you're thinking?
2: Yeah. I mean, there's there's really no right... I don't think there's a right or wrong answer, you know? What about you, Josh?
1: I keep thinking about whether or not rest and comfort are the same, and I think they're not.
0: Ooh.
1: I think rest is more, like, self-related versus I think comfort is... Or I think rest is also, like, very passive, and I think comfort is very active. Like, whether you're giving it or you're receiving it somehow, even if it's, like, self-comfort. Like it is really comforting for me to just like make a good cup of coffee and like sit down. Sure, so comforting, so relaxing. Is that rest? Maybe, but like it feels more. That feels more active to me than just um like not doing something. I don't know. Jesus rested. Jesus took a lot of naps. What? (laughs) I think it is interesting that there's this trope in. Christianity of like rest for the weary and comfort for the brokenhearted and like respite for those who just can't get ahead. Mm. I think it's a really interesting theme, and I think that a lot of people resonate with it.
0: Yeah, yeah, for sure. Yeah, blessed are those who mourn. Yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't I I'm I'm not sure. I think it maybe remains to be seen how much Christianity actually Gives people rest on the net, like maybe it does to some, like in very tangible ways. But, like, your question about spiritual comfort, I don't really know how to answer that, like, other than like relating it to like my emotional and mental state. Sure. I don't know what provides me spiritual comfort. Like, I don't know really how to think about that. The closest I can think of is the physical church building that feels familiar and beautiful in its own way and physically comforting sure. because of memories. But I don't know if that's spiritually comforting or not. Like, I don't know if I'm like, I I don't think I like see it as a spiritual experience necessarily.
2: Sure.
0: The other thing,
2: maybe we need to talk about that. Yeah. Yeah.
0: The other thing I might make an argument for is that making a good cup of coffee and sitting down could be spiritual comfort and that, I I think not that you you did this with your question, Emily, but like it is really easy for us to think of our lives as a duality of like physical and spiritual. Mm. And
2: yes, thank you, Stephen.
0: And those, those were never meant to be divorced. I don't think, I think honestly that teaching and that belief that somehow our spirit or our soul, if they exist are somehow separate from our body or like above or below in like the status of like what's sinful and what's not like your soul is somehow the thing redeemed, but your body is whatever that type of like Gnosticism is, is one of the worst things that has ever come out of like people trying to think as Christians. Like I think the body is spiritual. So I think making a cup of coffee can be a spiritual act, Hmm. you know, which might be why it's throwing you off. Josh is that like, Perhaps you've, you've learned appropriately that, you know, sometimes very physically just like laying on a bed and pulling on a weighted blanket, like in my case, like that, that, that's a spiritual act if I allow it to be, um, Mm. Mm. you know, Uh and I say, if I allow it to be more in the sense of like, if I am in the place where I can realize that it already is, not that I'm like giving it permission or something like it's always Mm -hmm. been spiritual. it's just. We just need us to realize it. God damn it. I sound like way too much like Rob Bell. (laughs) Everything is spiritual. (laughs) I was
1: thinking of that. That's funny.
0: (laughs) Yes. Can you tell who I'm influenced by?
1: That's fun. Who you find comfort in. Yeah. I think friendship is very comforting,
0: actually. Oh, yeah. That's good. I like that.
2: I find communion to be very comforting. Mm. Like participating in it uh, is very comforting for me.
0: Do you mm. like leading it as a pastor?
2: Oh my gosh, yes. Are you kidding yeah, me? I
0: would have bet that was your favorite every, thing.
2: Every The first Sunday of the month, every time I tell my church, I'm like, y'all know how much I love you, Christ. We give thanks. Like I hype it up so much. Uh, it just gives me joy. And I'm I'm at that point too where like the Methodist Church, we have like specific liturgy for it. And there are parts that I have, like, even as a child, I had it deeply memorized, like word for word. Uh, Mm. And so, like, when I get to that part of the liturgy to this day, like, you could just hear a cadence in my voice, like, changing as I get to that part, because I just read it differently, because I memorized it as a kid, because it gave me so much comfort. I don't know why, but there's just parts of it that that do. And so every, every time we do community, I get to that part. I, yeah, I love
0: it. Yeah. Certainly ritual like that can be comforting. Josh, I love your comment on friends too. Cause I know we said it as a joke cause I was talking about Rob Bell, but like even, even me mentioning Hey Riddle Riddle <laughs> is like, there's even something I don't like. There's almost like a parasocial friendship there where of course, like I find comfort in Rob Bell's voice, but he has no freaking idea who I am, you know? Right. Um, right. But it's still like, Oh, I like listening to this guy. I like, I like living in the world that he believes exists, if that makes sense. Mm. You know, I'm like, oh, man, if the world is actually like this. I think we're all OK. Are you a Christian
1: or are you a rebellion? Well,
0: <laughs> some people say I follow Jesus. Some say I follow Paul. <laughs> some say I follow <laughs> I Rob <think>. Bell
2: <laughs> or Richard Rohr. <laughs> I, I was going to say, where's that guy? Huh? Huh, that's so funny. I don't really have any other thoughts other than I think like something that just has sparked from this conversation is we just need to talk about it more like I think as a pastor like i I want to talk about comfort and being uncomfortable more in the church because mm. I don't think it is addressed enough, and I think my parishioners do have this sense of guilt or shame, whatever the case may be. And I think that can hinder the, I don't know, I think it can hinder something in their faith journey. And I think as a pastor, like I want to address that more. Like I want to be a presence that people can come to and find comfort. Even if like I don't say anything profound, like even if it's just like I'm present with people,
1: Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. I want to
2: do that more. Like, I want to find a space of comfort for people and provide that in the church. Cause we, I think there are times where we want that, but we maybe don't necessarily get it all the time.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I don't know. Do you guys have any closing thoughts or remarks before I, I have, I believe it or not, I have scripture.
1: Ooh. Okay. Oh. I'm going to that i'm going to close it.
2: with but i want to make sure if that, that y'all that's have what you your... take comfort in
1: you go for it okay well
2: so this is from a second corinthians chapter one verses three through four praise be to god the father and to our lord jesus christ the father of compassion and the god of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. Amen.
0: gang, Keller Paulson here. I know what you're thinking. What's going on? Who is this guy? Am I right? Well, I'm the host of Keller's Couch. Now, Keller's Couch is an interview podcast where I, Keller Paulson, interview people I find interesting that are doing cool things in the community. But it's not just that. My friends at Slapstick Improv and myself, we also... Do some improv comedy and sketch comedy every other episode. So,
1: if this tickles your fancy, why don't you scoot on down?
0: Pop a squat on Keller's couch. Bye. Highline Media Network.
2: Artist-owned podcasts by normal people in normal places.